This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, everybody? BJ Cruz here from Two Jabronis with a Wrestling Podcast on the Blue Wire Network with another installment of the Blue Wire Wrestling Pod Squad's ESPN WrestleMania Roundtable Recap. God, that's a mouthful. As a reminder for those of you listening on the Fight Game Podcast and Top Rope Nation who are probably and rightfully thinking, wait a minute, this is not the smooth, sultry tones of Double G, John, or Ryan, Kyle, or Justin. Well, with ESPN and WWE teaming up to air a few classic WrestleManias on actual ESPN airwaves, and yes, that's on ESPN, not ESPN2 or ESPN News or The Ocho. I'm talking ESP freaking N. The Wrestling and Combat Sports Podcasts on the Blue Wire Network thought it'd be a great idea to team up and relive these WrestleManias with ESPN and, of course, with you, our fantastically faithful listeners. So again, this is what we're going to do. We're going to rewatch these WrestleManias along with you, and then each of us individually is going to pick our favorite match or moments of the card and break it down. Not like DX, but documentary style. Sound good? Next up on ESPN's airwaves was WrestleMania 35, emanating live from MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. A few things to note about WrestleMania 35 before we move on to each of our favorite matches. It took place on Sunday, April 7th, 2019 with an announced attendance of 82,265 people. The card consisted of, wait for it, 16 matches, 4 on the pre-show and 12 on the main card. The main card ran a total of 5 hours and 19 minutes. All right, I'm going to take some of The Rock's advice here and know my role and shut my mouth and throw it to one of my Blue Wire Wrestling Podcast brethren, Double G from the Fight Game Podcast, for our first breakdown from WrestleMania 35. But we still have our main event for WrestleMania this year. For the first time ever, women are in the main event. Lynch, Rousey, Flair, winner, take all at WrestleMania. This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast, and we're talking about our favorite moments from WrestleMania 35. That's the WrestleMania from uh, New York, and it featured Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch versus Charlotte in the main event, and that's the match I'm going to talk about. But before I get to that, that was a fun weekend. I actually was out there, uh, I believe I was out there from Thursday... Uh, so Thursday through Sunday morning, and I flew out. I did not attend WrestleMania Live. And the reason is probably because of uh, what we talked about on the WrestleMania 32 version of of this podcast, which is that the show was so long that I think it took away from, uh, from how uh, exciting it, it can be, 
how, um, you know, it's sort of, you know, it's a big stadium show. So there's a lot of magic and there's a lot of pomp and circumstance and you're there with a lot of people. But because of the longevity of the show, it makes it really hard to uh, be able to focus for, for that long. Like, you know, football games are three hours. Basketball games are two hours and 15 minutes or 2.30. Baseball games are three hours. And, you know, that's what we're used to as fans. So when you have these like six and a half, seven hour WrestleManias, it's just really hard. It's hard on the body. <laughs> so uh, I decided not to attend and I watched it at home. But I kind of wanted to get through some of the things from that weekend, which were really fun and memorable. So Bloodsport ran uh, Josh Barnett against Minoru Suzuki in the main event. That was a fun show, different show that uh, from your, your normal pro wrestling, much more mat oriented. There were no ropes. Uh, you <clears throat> you saw lots of submission attempts, uh, all kinds of like really good, like uh, as you know, JR would say, catches catch can style. So that was a lot of fun. The New Japan ROH show was amazing, and I'd never been to Madison Square Garden before. That was so much fun. That now, I mean, now I know why. It's the Mecca. Most perfect arena that I've ever watched a sport in. The uh, New Japan stuff uh, overshadowed the ROH stuff, uh, and rightly so. Um, you know, when, whenever, again, are you going to get to see uh, an IWGP title change when Okada beat Jay White? Jeff Cobb and and Will Ospreay was awesome, but um, the Takeover show I did not like as much, and it's partially because I didn't like the Barclays uh, setup in Brooklyn. This we 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 had seats in the two hundred, so you know that show was sold. You know that it was hard to get tickets for that show. But the 200 section sucks at Barclays. You are so high, and it is so tight. You're shoulder-to-shoulder with people. And I also was having a hard time staying awake because I had done a lot of stuff the night before. Uh, We had recorded a podcast previewing WrestleMania, so we were up a little late, you know, probably drinking a couple of Jack and Cokes. And um, I had to wake up really early the next morning to help out... uh, Brian Alvarez and Dave Meltzer do their Q&A. Um, so I didn't get a lot of sleep. And so it was partially my fault. But also, you know, just that stadium, that that arena was, was kind of the opposite of what made MSG so great. So I don't really have great memories of that show, even though I know that show was really good. A lot of people loved it. So um, that's, uh, you know, in, in addition to just hanging out with folks and, and uh, having a really good time. The match that I, I mentioned at the top of this, Ronda versus Becky versus Charlotte, I think, you know, the, there's so many fascinating things about the politics behind that match. Obviously, Ronda was the key for a lot of their business for uh, 2019 and, you know, late 2018, 2019. She was a tremendous draw in the UFC. So her just doing WWE was a big deal. And then them really focusing the year around her. Uh, But you could see how, you know, WWE, one of their huge problems is their inability to protect their baby faces or their top, their top stars. You know, Ronda went from being heavily cheered at Mania 34. And then, you know, she starts getting booed. 
she in her UFC career didn't really handle the booze all that well. But uh, yeah, that you know, by the time you know WrestleMania 35 rolled around, Becky was kind of the chosen one by the fans. And that happened because uh, Nia Jax <laughs> shoot punched her right in the nose and broke her nose and pulled her out of uh, a match. And so the crowd, you know, really got behind Becky. And look, Becky was tremendous. She she turned into the man character. Um, she was was on fire with her promos. The got the crowd behind her. Did just a tremendous job. But. Uh, you know, that match, the reason why it becomes a three-way, I think, is, is a few, there's a few different reasons. A, Charlotte is kind of WWE's chosen one, right? Like, they're going to utilize Ronda, but they know Ronda's not going to stick around. You know, I know I know a lot of people, WWE themselves tried to say she was going to stick around for three years. But, I mean, we kind of knew. Dave, Dave Meltzer had reported that, you know, more than likely she was only going to be there for the one year. And then she was going to take time off and she could still come back. You know, she's still under contract. So, if she does decide to wrestle again, you know, it'll be with WWE. But Charlotte, you know, you kind of look at Charlotte and you go, she's the longevity. She's the John Cena type. Of, uh, of wrestler who's going to be around for a long time and because of her name she will she will be over with the fans and you know she's probably the best of the three in ring as far as you know putting a match together so adding her to that Becky versus uh, Ronda match I thought was a smart deal now you know it's a lot easier to do a three-way that main event spot is so hard. Like, there's a reason why your ring generals like Triple H uh, and The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, you know, were in a lot of those main events because, you know, you want that match to be so well put together. You want it to feel organic. You want the crowd to peak in those main events. And it's really, really hard. So putting in Becky, who, you know, Becky's been wrestling for a while, but she hadn't been in that main event position ever Rhonda has barely been wrestling, uh, you know, for that year, and she's been in a main event position in the UFC. So, in an athletic performance, she know, you know, that that she that that moment is not going to be too big for her. But still, like she, from a wrestling perspective, she was a rookie. So you bring in Charlotte, makes it easier because it's a three way. You could do a lot of you know save spots on submissions, breakups on on two counts, which naturally get the crowd engaged. I think they probably had a B-plus match that was there for them, you know, in the main event. But it just didn't turn out that way. It, it was, you know, probably closer to a C, C-minus version of, of what they should have been able to do. Um, You know, as far as the finish... Uh, lots of people are saying, oh, Becky needs to tap Ronda with the cross, you know, with that arm breaker. And I'm just like going like, there's no way. There is absolutely no way she should tap Ronda Rousey, UFC champion, judo Olympian with a fake pro wrestling submission. And I died on that vine. <laughs> Anybody who who said that she should have tapped Ronda... I was like, there's no way. If you ever want Rhonda to come back, she cannot be tapped out. And it's just way too fake. Rhonda's never been tapped out in, in the UFC. You know, knockout, sure. She she you know, she got knocked out a couple times. But uh so I, I was just adamant that that could not be the finish. Um but what they did was 
worse because of how it worked out. So Becky, um, so just, I guess, just to explain a little bit more, my thinking on on not having Ronda tap out, because what you could have done is, you know, in this three-way, Becky wins, Ronda asks for a rematch, it's a submission match, Ronda wins, because obviously she would, that's her specialty. And then in the third match, you do Becky's like, nope, this is pro wrestling. We're going to do a pro wrestling match. Maybe you put it in a cell if you want to take it that far. I don't think you would have needed to. But then Becky beats her the pro wrestling move because this is pro wrestling. This is not submission wrestling. or This is not UFC. So um, that was my reasoning behind that as well. It's twofold. A, it's fake. Ron is never going to lose to Becky in her life in a submission match. And uh, two, it would have hurt the follow-up. So what they did is they had Becky win the match and pin Ronda with a with a, a pro wrestling, you know, pin. The problem is, is that Ronda's shoulders weren't down, which is part Becky's fault, part Ronda's fault. The second problem is the referee counted. The referees clearly saw that her shoulder was not on the mat. And then the third thing is WWE, the announcers, you know, these great announcers that they have, uh, and the follow-up just decided to pretend like there was no problem with that. And so, you know, when you have a moment like that, when both performers miss, when the referee misses, and then the announcers who have zero credibility as it is, just blow over it, you've created the worst possible problem. Had the referee stopped the count, and then they would have had to go into something else, and 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 then, you know, Becky pins it, it would have saved it a little bit. Uh, but it just the, the, they just tripled down on on the error, which made it really a bad finish to that main event. And look, you know, the the end of that whole show, people couldn't get couldn't get out of out of the uh, the stadium. It was raining. The lift and the Ubers and the cabs were backed up for hours. Maybe not hours, but I heard some stories where it was like an hour. And so just that whole thing kind of. Uh, put a black eye on the event and made my reason for coming home early Sunday even better. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, not the best main event, but there were reasons why. And I think if they were able to do that whole thing again, they could have tightened up that match. It would have been a lot better. They wouldn't have screwed up that finish. Um, and, uh, and, and I think we would have less of a bad taste in our mouth for how that ended. And look, it would have helped Becky, uh, in, the end of 2019 and 2020, because without Rhonda, she was the one that was hurt the most. Like that was her, that was her meal ticket was Rhonda because, you know, Rhonda's legit, like Rhonda's the real deal. And if Becky as the pro wrestler, uh, is, is, uh, is right there with Rhonda, that works great for her. And that helps her stay over. And, you know, it wasn't able to happen and she didn't stay over as much. Her, her 2019, the end of it into 2020, was not fantastic, uh, or, you know, for a top star, which is how she's booked. But maybe Shayna changes things, and, and Shayna and Rhonda being friends, uh, and maybe Rhonda gets back in the mix uh, with with Shayna being there as well, and, and we can kind of get back to it and do the, the better version of what this match could have been. But anyways, that's my memory for WrestleMania 35. I want to thanks again to my uh, Blue Wire brothers, uh, BJ Cruz producing the hell out of this thing, uh, Jeremy and uh, Ryan, uh, their parts as well. 
And this has been a lot of fun. So this is Double G from the Fight Game Podcast. Thanks, Double G. You know, as wonky as that finish was, I was at least happy that they made that main event happen with three of the best performers, period, in the company at the time. Um, And they they just all happened to be women. I'll, I'll always remember this main event mainly because it was my daughter's very first WrestleMania newborn she was a couple months old at the time and to be able to you know look over at her and look over at the screen and just see a bunch of beautiful women doing amazing things was was just so refreshing and fantastic to see all right we're gonna throw it over to my main man over at the top rope nation podcast ryan drosty with his favorite wrestlemania 35 moment ryan what do you got give me what i want Give me what I want! Let me hear you say it! Everybody here wants to hear you say it! What's up, guys? This is Ryan Drosty from the Top Rope Nation podcast, and I'm here to talk about one of the big moments from last year's WrestleMania 35, that being Dave Batista returning to the WWE after a long, long layoff, wrestling his first match since June of 2014 as he returned to WWE to face off against his former partner from Evolution, Triple H. Now, this is far from the best match on this card, but it is a very big match. It is what is looked at as possibly Dave Batista's last match as a WWE performer. Now, we know a lot of people do retirement matches in return, so that remains to be seen, but so far... Seems like Batista is sticking by his word. He talked for years about wanting a WWE farewell, and we finally got it at WrestleMania 35. Now, I got to say, early on in Batista's run personally, I wasn't the biggest fan, but over the years, I became a bigger admirer of his work. I think some of that has to do with just getting to know the guy on a more personal level, you know, following his Twitter account, reading interviews that he did, and realizing he's he's just all around a pretty good dude. When he went on to stardom, you know, like post 2014 run, he became a big star, still is a big star in Hollywood uh, due to his role in the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, films. And he lobbied WWE for years about wanting to return. And it was so bizarre to me watching this that, I mean, he would be on Twitter talking about Uh, how he wanted to come back. He'd give interviews talking about how he wanted to come back. I remember there was a point in time where he talked about wanting to come back and do like a house show run just because he loved working house shows because they're so personal, informal, and just a lot of fun to work. And WWE just pretty much ignored all those requests. So bizarre considering he had become such a big star in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, Well, now they have two films, but the, the initial film really made him a big star. In Hollywood. So finally, they bring him back for the SmackDown 1000 celebration in the fall of 2018. And they kind of laid the seeds for what would become the angle, bringing him back, wrestling Triple H at WrestleMania 35. They, they kind of sowed the seeds of dissent there when Evolution reunited at SmackDown 1000. Um, but then the match was actually kind of in jeopardy because uh, at the WWE Saudi Arabia show in November of 2018, Triple H tore his pectoral muscle and they didn't know if he would actually be able to work at WrestleMania. But eventually it all came together. 
we get the big Triple H Batista match at WrestleMania 35. It was the 13th match on the card, a very, very long WrestleMania uh, last year, 16 matches all in one night. And this year, of course, the show is split among two nights. 16 matches in, in one night is just way, way too much. This one going on, 13th. The crowd's tired. I felt like the match itself had some memorable moments. Uh, of course, like I said, because it's Batista's retirement match. But it did go on way, way too long. 24 minutes, 43 seconds. They probably could have done this match in a little over 10 minutes, 15 minutes top. So it was a little lengthy. Um, but it had some memorable spots. Of course, it was a no DQ match. If uh, if Triple H lost the match, uh, he was going to agree to retire. So Triple H, early in the match, he gets out a toolbox. And he takes a chain out and he whips Batista with it in a pretty brutal-looking spot. Uh, later on, he takes out a tweezers. He rips out, they go to a close-up, he rips out the nose ring of Batista's nose. Batista bleeds a little bit from that. He takes out a pliers, allegedly breaking Batista's hand. Batista would come back from all of that, but some brutal-looking images there. And for a no-DQ match, I thought that was all very good. They had Shawn Michaels out there in guest commentary. He made a couple unusual comments uh, throughout the match. He said at one point that, uh, you know, until Dave Batista can beat Triple H... He'll never believe he can, which was kind of a strange comment to make considering, of course, uh, Batista beat Triple H for the World Heavyweight title at WrestleMania 21 back in 2005, but we're not going to go down that road. Uh, Strange comment there, historically speaking, but overall, this match, I I felt like too long, but some memorable spots that delivered um, on the outside at one point in time, uh, Batista takes out Triple H with a big spear through the announcer's table. That got the crowd going. Uh, But in the end, Batista cannot beat Triple H. Triple H brings in the sledgehammer, uh, but he he can't use it right away. Batista takes him out with a spear, almost gets the pinfall. Uh, Batista goes and he gets out. It's the sledgehammer himself. Triple H dodges the shot from him by kicking Batista. Batista drops it, but Batista is still able to hit the Batista bomb. Triple H, of course, kicks out. Later on, uh, Batista is able to kick out from a pedigree. I don't think the crowd expected that. Uh, Batista DDTs him on the steps. Out comes Ric Flair. He gives Triple H another sledgehammer. Triple H then jumps off the ring steps that were in the ring at this point with a sledgehammer shot on Batista, hits a second pedigree, gets the pinfall. Like I said, this is not an all-time classic in the ring. Uh, but for someone like me who was clamoring to see Batista back in the WWE for a number of years, it really was cool to see him return and uh, get in that ring one more time to kind of go out on his terms. And because of that, just, just to see him in the ring again at a WrestleMania, I, this was one of the highlights for me of WrestleMania 35. So with that, Again, you can check me out on Top Rope Nation, weekly podcast here on Blue Wire. If you guys like two jabronis, if you like the fight media guys, I'm sure you will like Top Rope Nation. Check out myself, Kyle, and Justin as we talk wrestling each and every week. And with that, I'll throw it back to BJ Cruz. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, you know, the uh, the clip there that played earlier with Batista yelling, give me what I want, ended up becoming, and it's still one of the most used memes on Twitter and the internet 
And, you know, leading up to the match, it definitely wasn't the, one of the matches you looked forward to the most um, on that card. But it ended up actually being pretty solid um, kind of by the end. So, again, gr great job, Ryan. Thank you so much. And uh, I guess it's my turn. So uh, let's do this. Ryan is barely moving. Kofi measuring the champion. Hi again, everyone. BJ Cruz here from Two Jabronis with a Wrestling Podcast. Back to talk about my favorite match and a moment from WrestleMania 35. Kofi Kingston winning the WWE title over Daniel Bryan. And here's why. First off, the build to this match was the most I was emotionally invested in. The, the story had been built up so freaking well. So let, let's take a few steps back to weeks before this match. Obviously, Kofi doesn't even sniff this spot if Mustafa Ali doesn't get hurt, which puts Kofi in the Elimination Chamber match for Daniel Bryan's WWE title. But from the moment he was put into the match, man, so something special was brewing with Kofi. He has that um, amazing showing in the gauntlet match on SmackDown to determine who would enter the chamber last. And Kofi doesn't win, but I firmly believe that that's the performance that sold everyone on Kofi being WWE champion. So before that, um, of the three members of the New Day, I, I think Big E was definitely the top guy that people would throw into that conversation of believable world champions, even though Kofi had been doing this longer. So fast forward to the actual Elimination Chamber match, and the last two people in the match are Kofi Kingston and Daniel Bryan. Despite a valiant effort from the guy whose Jamaican accent disappeared in thin air years and years ago, Brian successfully defends the title. But, but that's when you knew that they were going to carry this into WrestleMania because the last shot of the night isn't of Brian celebrating his title defense. It's of Xavier Woods, it's of Big E, and Kofi Kingston together. Woods and E are comforting, co comforting Kofi while sitting at the entrance to the Elimination Chamber and behind them, the WrestleMania 35 sign. From there, it just felt like a mission to officially get Kofi that title shot at Mania. Kofi goes through hell in another gauntlet match that he seemingly wins to earn his spot, but gets screwed out of it after Vince McMahon throws a curveball and adds another participant last second. It's obviously WWE champion Daniel Bryan, and Kofi loses his title shot. That, and that's how you knew, too, that this was a massive deal and that they were buying into it. And by they, I mean WWE. Vince's inclusion in this storyline pissed off a lot of people, but in retrospect, really just goes to show how invested he was in, in making this work and making this WrestleMania 35 moment mean more. Uh, and then Kofi officially earns his title shot after his New Day Brethren are put through the ringer in a uh, tag team gauntlet match of their own, which they win in emotional fashion. So now we get to WrestleMania 35. Kofi Kingston versus Daniel Bryan is uh, it's smack dab in the middle of this insanely long card. Counting the pre-show matches, this was the 10th match of the night. 
Uh, initially, I thought it was it was a big risk to put such an emotionally <laughs> driven match this late into the card because everyone was likely going to be drained by then. Of course, there were actually six <laughs> matches after this, so maybe by match ten, people were just finding their groove. Who knows? Um, the the match was great. The two fantastic workers in Kofi and Daniel Bryan, uh, just making magic in the ring, man. And and as good as Kofi was, a kudos needs to be sent to Daniel Bryan in this match because he made Kofi look like a million dollars. Like it, it, it was fantastic to watch. Of course, it ends with Kofi hitting Trouble in Paradise on Daniel Bryan and pinning him to win his first WWE championship. Uh, I distinctly remember hitting my co-host Jeremy with a high five after the three count. Uh, I don't think I'd high fived anyone since like the third grade. So that felt good. <laughs> uh, the emotion thereafter was, it was amazing to see obviously woods and E in tears, watching their brother that they struggled alongside with to get to the top, finally getting his due. It, it definitely tugged at the heartstrings and, um, you know, especially with, with those three, you know, obviously they watching them on, on up, up, down, down, and just how they genuinely care and like each other. And then obviously their, their podcast now, um, it it was just a special bond that those three shared. So the fact that they were able to share that together, I thought was, was incredible. And then Kofi celebrating with the belts in the ring with his family was the, uh, the cherry on top of this emotional, emotional roller coaster. Um, the story arc with Kofi was WWE at their best, right? Delivering from a storyline perspective and and making you care and, and two superstars absolutely delivering on a huge stage. Uh, there's, there's a lot to harp on WWE about in regards to these two areas, right? But they knocked this one specifically out of the park. Uh, I'm still pretty upset about how Kofi's title reign ended. Uh, because he actually had a pretty solid run and the fact that he's never really been thrust back into the main event picture uh, has always kind of bothered me as well but hopefully it's in the back of Vince and the WWE writers minds because man if Kofi can win that title again it'll make for another great match and another great moment all right, everyone, thanks so much for listening to this mega collabo roundtable of sorts from the Blue Wire Wrestling Pod Squad. We hope you enjoyed it no matter what feed you're listening on, but please do go show some love to the other wrestling pods on the network you might not be listening to quite yet, but especially the three shows you heard from today. Find the Fight Game Podcast, Top Rope Nation, and Two Jabronis with a Wrestling Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And if you're one of our fantastic Apple Podcast users, please, please, please subscribe and rate all of these shows five stars. And follow the shows on Twitter. The Fight Game Podcast is at Fight Game Media. Top Rope Nation is at Top Rope Nation. And Two Jabronis with a Wrestling Podcast is Two Jabronis is at Two Jabronis Pod. This concludes our ESPN WrestleMania series of pods, but we'll definitely be collaborating more in the future on plenty of wrestling-related content, so be on the lookout for that in the near future. Hope you enjoyed our trips down memory lane and hope we were able to provide you 
with some entertainment and escape during these crazy, crazy times we have going on in the world. Stay locked to all of our feeds, and we'll talk to you soon. Peace.